God, uh, may that set our hearts in the right place right now. We're in a movie theater. Batman's around the corner. But God, we're before you. And that's what this is all about. God, I thank you so much that you are the cornerstone. You are the one of which upon all things that hold on. All things hold up because of you. You are Lord of all. So we celebrate it together. In the glorious name of Christ we pray, right? Amen. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, we should be having some people coming around. Do you want to grab a Bible? We're big about the Bible around here. We just don't talk about it. We just don't like point to it. We actually dig into it because we love God's word and, and you want to hear God's word, not my word. And so we're in Acts chapter 12. And just to set a little bit of uh, uh, what's going on here, uh, this is our last day in our series of Acts. This is our last day in the series of Acts. Yeah, it's like, some are like, excellent, excellent. Others like, oh, others have no idea what I'm doing right now. Hey, uh, it has been a delight. It's really been a glorious time to be able just to hang out in God's word and watch what he's doing. Um, just to let you know, uh, next Sunday, Jamie Hart, he's the, the pastor of the Harvest Fort Wayne plant. They're going to be planting here in a short time, and he's going to be here ministering the word of God next Sunday. Be here, you'll enjoy that. Uh, uh, Karen and I, we're going to be over in Davenport, Iowa, Harvest Davenport, and filling in uh, for Rob Willie there, and very excited about that opportunity. Uh, after that, the beginning of August, through August, we're going to kind of be having a home series. Uh, we're going to be spending the first two Sundays in August talking about marriage. We're going to be spending the last two Sundays in August talking about parenting. And I just want to let you know, if you're if you're uh, one without children, if you're single, and you're like, oh, that doesn't apply to me. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Because maybe someday that'll be uh, in your life court, as well as you have the opportunity of ministry and encouraging other people. And we need to know how that is. A family is a very important thing. So in August, we're going to be all about the family. And then in uh, September uh, up through November, we're going to be talking about the heart and core of harvest. Uh, I think there's some exciting Big God things are uh, going to be coming up in 2013, maybe even yet this year. And we're going to take some months and prep for that and just kind of confirm who we are, what we're about. We're Harvest, and that includes four pillars, three W's, and five G's. We're going to be going through all those here in the coming months. So uh, right now we're at the last chapter, well, not the last chapter, the last chapter in our series of Acts, Acts chapter 12. Let's uh, read verse 1 and get started. About the time, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Now, let me set some context about that time. What time? Uh, let's call it this way. Chapter 11 time about that time. Uh, what was happening in chapter 11 or right after there? Uh, what was happening in chapter 11? Uh, the first Gentile church is planted in Antioch. That is a big God deal. Uh, that means Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is really coming to fruition uh, that also means uh, we saw there that the Jerusalem church is supporting the church in Antioch, which is a big deal. Jerusalem leaders uh, of God's church there are supporting, the, those who have come to Christ are supporting Gentile believers. Never happened in history before that. That's taking place. The Jerusalem church sends Barnabas as well as he picks up Saul on the way. Great numbers of people are coming to Christ. There's a famine through the area. So the Gentile church sends people down into the Israel church to be of encouragement with them. How cool is that? God's family is expanding and God's family is loving on one another. It's a really special time at that time. That's the time when this is happening. And then secondly, it says at that time, Herod, the king. Now, who's Herod? Well, this is Herod Agrippa. Uh, you know uh, the Herod, the guy who was back when Christ was kind of in the first years of Christ's birth, that Herod? This isn't that Herod. Uh, this is his grandson. Uh, this is Herod Agrippa. His grandfather, Herod the Great, uh, not only murdered uh, his own son, but also was the one who called the murdering of all the children in Bethlehem at the time near the birth of Christ. Uh, wow, that's a great thing to really be excited about in your lineage as a family, not 
correct? I mean, how sad is that? Uh, not only that, but we can also uh, learn that his uh, uncle was Herod Agrippa. Herod Agrippa was the one who ordered the beheading of John the baptizer. Uh, not a good family line. Power can corrupt. And uh, it certainly has in this family. Not only that, Herod Agrippa had a past. Uh, he had uh, run up uh, numerous debts in Rome. Uh, he fled Rome with a lot of angry creditors uh, behind him. At one point, he began making some comments about the Emperor Tiberius. Uh, Tiberius heard about it, threw him in jail. Uh, and how, how is this? This is so politics. And yet he ends up becoming a ruler of some land under the territory of Rome. Crazy politics, isn't it? Um, God's in control, no matter. Um, but even in that, he comes, and so Judea and Samaria, Palestine are all under his rule, yet he has this kind of not-so-great relationship with Rome, which means he has to have the people that he oversees love him. So what he does is, is he finds out at this time that if he persecutes Christians, uh, the people of Israel love him. The, the Jews love him uh, because they're really excited about this. Christians are getting persecuted. How sad is that? But that's just the condition of what's happening. Okay, that's the Herod we're talking about. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Verse 2, he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. This is the first apostle that is martyred. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, uh, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. He's like, hey, if I got kind of like one of the, quote, lower apostles in martyrdom and people cheered me, what if I get the top dog and, and martyr him? They'll really love me. That's what's happening here. So this is during the days of uh, unleavened bread. He proceeded to arrest Peter, it's the time of Passover, verse 4. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. It's Passover time. All the people are coming to Jerusalem. Uh, Herod Agrippa is there. And so he gets Peter, and it's at the beginning of the Passover. So he puts him in jail. He's going to wait until after Passover because he doesn't want to ruin all the events because the people won't love him if he does that. But he's going to wait till after before everybody goes home. Then he's going to martyr Peter, and then they'll love him. Is this just not like creepy? But that's what's going on at the time. And yet in it, part of what we see here, and we'll see a little bit more, is what's happening with the jail situation. Turn over to the left to Acts chapter 5. This was a passage we had covered uh, some time ago. Acts chapter 5, and it makes note here about the fact that he is jailing Peter and he has four squads of soldiers on him. That's unusual. Say unusual. It's unusual, and here's why. Back at a period of time, Acts chapter 5, verse 17 says, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them where? In jail, in public prison. Uh, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple, speak to the people all the words of this life. And they did. That wasn't too long ago, but it was a while ago. It wasn't a week, a month. This was uh, probably a couple years ago that this is taking place. Herod Agrippa knows you got to be careful with these apostle dudes because you put them in jail and uh, they can do some funky things. So what does he do? He doubles up. And in fact, what he does is he puts two soldiers right at his, at his, at his uh, uh, jail doorway, if you will. And then we'll see here, he puts two soldiers chained to him. No one's going to get out of that. Uh, let's see here. Here we go. Verse 5. Or I'm sorry. Let me pause. I shouldn't get him so excited. Let me pause here. Think about the situation here. James is martyred. Peter is jailed. This is one of those times where you can kind of step back and go, God, you know what you're doing. I mean, here you are taking your men, I mean, your, your leader men, and, and you've allowed one of them to get martyred. That's not very smart, is it? God, what are you doing? And then here's another one, Peter. He's like the leader of the leaders, and, and Peter is now jailed. Like, what good is that? And then they're going to martyr him. God, are you involved in this? 
do you know what you're doing? Are you making this up as you go along? Not only that, but let me kind of ask this question as we think through it. And we go, why did James get killed and Peter not yet? I mean, that doesn't seem very fair. Why didn't Peter get killed first and then James? Well, a couple comments on that. Number one, let me give you, I think, if I can say it, the answer that blows all our minds is God sovereignly carries out his purposes. God sovereignly carries out his purposes, okay? Um, May I just remind us that God is God, and you and I are not. God has the ability to see the whole picture. God has the character and the glory and the understanding to to bring it all together, even when to you and I, it seems literally maybe insane. God is God. Are you okay with that? You know, it's interesting. We want God to be God at certain times. And then there's other times we don't want God to be God. But God is God. Also, I would just say done, uh, death is not done. Death is not done. Or for James, we go, oh, James, he got martyred. I don't want to go through martyrdom. I just want to let you know, I want to die real quick. Okay? Karen and I have already agreed. We have a written contract where we're going at night together. That's the deal. <laughs> but uh, um, may I just remind us that for the person who's redeemed in Christ, that to die is to be with the Lord. And James, I don't think at this point in time, James is being with the Lord. He's looking back and going, crud, I wish I was back there. I actually think James is like, I got the awesome deal out of this one. I'm with the Lord. Hey, side note, are you preparing for death theologically? Are you preparing for death theologically? So that when your health goes down the tank, or when something comes along, you have already been working to, in the wrestling of it, in the hard wrestling of that, it won't be easy, but yet in the wrestling of it, you've already been setting yourself on a theology. God is in control. And if it's my death, to God be the glory. If it means being persecuted, to God be the glory. I may not like it, I may struggle with handling it, but to God be the glory. And if that even means peace and calmness, to God be the glory. You know, in our men's stand group, I so enjoyed just hanging around with men and being able to talk God's word. And, and I just think of Job here. And here's Job uh, uh, chapter 1. He has all these catastrophes take place. And yet at the end of Job chapter 1, he falls and worships God and acknowledges the sovereignty of God. God gives, God takes away. And in the hurt of it all, he falls in worship. I just want to say, I want to die like that. And yet then, what I love about Scripture is uh, the, the tragedies keep coming on, and yet the Scriptures also tell us that Job comes to a point to where he isn't handling the sovereignty of God. And he gets all the way to the point, remember guys, he gets all the way to the point, he says, I just want to curse my life and die. And then God says, hey, my friend, Um, Gird your loins up like a man and let's interact. And and really lovingly, God lets him know, God reminds him of who he is. God is God. And Job responds in repentance. I lost sight of who you were. I lost sight of who you are. God is God. God sovereignly carries out his purposes. Secondly, just a point here, uh, we participate in God's sovereign purposes through prayer. Through prayer. Look at verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer from him was made to God by the church. Pause. Let's talk about this for a second. Earnest prayer, not just prayer. Uh, This wasn't an exaggeration of the text uh, by translators. There's actually a Uh, A word before prayer that's describing the kind of prayer, and it's this idea of earnestness. It's it's literally this idea of eagerness. It's this passion. There's a fervor. Uh, It also can carry this idea of consistence. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, it has the exact same word that's used to speaking about that we're to love one another earnestly. It's the same word. 
fervently, with passion. And it also carries, again, this idea of constantly. Uh, What's happening here? These people aren't just praying. They're praying with great intensity. Oh, God. That kind of prayer. But notice also, this is by the church. We're clearly getting this idea that it's by the ecclesia. In other words, it's all in. They're all coming together and passionately praying before the throne of God with intensity. How cool is that? God's people just coming together. Not when the schedule, it works out, but coming together because life centers there. Coming together and praying and earnestly doing so. And it's notes there, they're praying for him. They're praying for Peter. Why would they pray for Peter? Well, because James is just martyred and Peter's on deck. And I have to say, if I were them, you've already taken James, and now you're going for Peter. He's the lead guy. Oh, God. You take him? Oh, God. How? Earnest prayer for him. In fact, I might encourage you to mark or to circle verse 5. I think verse 5 is the central pinnacle point of this chapter. Oftentimes when people talk about it or read by it, it's like, that's cute, they're praying. And then they go on to the story. I think it's laid here so that we understand under everything that is now taking place, even in the sovereignty of God and what he's doing, there is a church that is praying right along with them. Let's see that happen. We participate in God's sovereign purposes through prayer. Verse 6, now when Herod was about to bring him out, Uh, Peter, on that very night, so basically Passover is wrapped up and not everyone's gone home, but Herod's going to bring him out and have him martyred. Uh, On that night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. Got the idea? Doubled up so he doesn't do a coinky-dink getting out of there. Verse 7, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. By the way, um, behold. Behold carries this idea of bam. Okay, when you see in the scripture, it's not like behold. Okay, you know, like those kids when they do the Christmas play and they come up, behold, it's like, that's not what's being talked about here. Behold has this idea of, do I have your attention? It's like this, and behold, and bam, right in the middle of the night when they didn't know what was going on, all of a sudden, bam, on the stage, in the cell, there's an angel. And a light. Uh, how did that get in there? Because they didn't have electricity. They probably didn't have a window. But there's light in there. And light shone in the cell. And the angel struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. Now, you've got to understand this, this word for struck here or strike here. This isn't like when you, you know, parents, you have your, your little ones asleep and they're so cute. They're laying there. He's going, oh, man, it's time to get up. And you're like, oh. And then you sing a song to them, and you know the oldest. That's the, the the word strike here. Actually, in the Greek, is used in other passages. In fact, one of them is referring to when Peter strikes the Roman soldier and cuts off his ear. All the other times this word is used, it has a bit of an aggressiveness to it, a hitting to it. You got the idea? The angel's like, "Bam! Light! Peter, get up!" That's what's happening here. So, uh, love it, love it. Get up quickly, and then add on top of that, bam, the chains fall off his hands. I would love that. You know, you read about these miracles, but then when something's like so personal to you, it's right there touching you, and it happens. Whoa. Now God's getting real personal and real intimate, isn't he? And the chains fall off. It's not stopping here yet. Verse 8, and the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so, and he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He, Peter, he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was in a vision, thought he was in a dream. Have you ever had a dream where you're having a hard time, whether you know it's real or not? I think this is real. I think, what? Yeah. And you're literally confused through it. That's what's happening here. Verse 10. When they had passed the first and the second guard, what's with these guards? I mean, are they like wiffle dust out? Are they so stunned that they can't even move? I don't know. 
But I'm just telling you, there's miracles happening all over this event, and they keep coming. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, then they came to the iron gate leading into the city, and it opened for them on its own accord. Ooh, isn't that neat? Sometimes God is just really cool. They could push the thing open, but it's like God is in the house. And they came the iron gate leading, and it opened to them on its own accord, and they went out, and they went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. Can you imagine that? Uh, now what? When Peter came to himself, <laughs> oh, whoa, this is real. <laughs> he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Sometimes it just takes us a while to understand that God's doing a work right in front of us. Verse 12, and when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other whose other name was Mark. In other words, John Mark. If, if you know Acts, you're gonna, uh, we won't be, but you'll, you can see in uh, later, Paul and Barnabas take John Mark with them as an assistant. John Mark kind of bails on him, but eventually becomes a real helpful tool to the Lord's work. He's the one who writes the gospel of Mark. And as a young man, the church in Jerusalem was really centered out of his family's home. And so, one, this was the right place for Peter to go for, it made sense because this is kind of where so many things took place. But it was also the place where what was happening? Prayer was taking place. Look at this. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and they were praying. By the way, what time of the day was this nighttime okay <laughs> nighttime that just tells you right there what's going on with this group of people i mean this wasn't a prayer time that was convenient this was like concrete right here in the night verse 13 and when he knocked at the door of the gateway a servant girl named rhoda came to answer recognizing peter's voice in her joy she did not open the gate you read that and it's like she may not have actually seen peter she may just have heard his voice and knew his voice. And it's like, that's Peter. And she ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate, didn't let him in. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is an angel. Now, what's happening here, part of the reason they're saying it is an angel, because in that day, they had the idea that every person had an angel. What's that thing where like a guardian angel? Every person had a guardian angel uh, hanging around them that could talk like them and look like them. Uh, not necessarily good theology, but that was kind of where they were at at this time. And so part of what's going on is, no, 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 no. That couldn't be Peter because we know he's in jail. Um, even though he's on the triangulate here. But he's in jail, so this must be an angel at this point in time. And, and so you get the picture here. She leaves him outside. She comes in. She says, Peter's at the door. And they're like, out of the prayer meeting. Break, everybody. You're out of your mind. No, I'm serious. Peter's at the gate. Hey, that's sweet, honey, but you're out of your mind. No. I think you see my daughter, like, at this point, like, no. And her lip quivering or something. No. And they're like, oh, it's got to be an angel. such a hard time believing what God's going through for us. We'll come back to that. Verse 14, but Peter continues knocking. Um, excuse me, but can I like come in? And when they opened, they saw him and they were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent. Hey, stop everybody. Stop talking. Uh, let me tell you what the Lord, how he brought me out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James. Not James, he's martyred, obviously. You know, they're into the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Just a side note, it's very interesting here. Uh, we do not hear from uh, Peter. Peter's noted in verse 18. And we also see Pope Peter noted in chapter 15 of Acts. But basically, Peter's off the scene from here on out. Uh, so when the scripture here tells us, then he departed and went to another place, in many ways, it's kind of like Peter now steps off the stage. 
and Paul is about to come out on the scene. I just love it when leadership and God's people, you know, God uses us at specific times and then we're humble enough to continue in ministry, but it's not about being the man on the stage. Sometimes pastors have a hard time letting the next guy come in. And I hope that would never happen. May we not be that way. May we not be proud people. This is about God's thing, right? Verse 18, now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what became of Peter. In other words, there was a huge disturbance. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries in order that they would be put to death. In other words, at the time, it was the type of thing to where if you were caught for something uh, or if you were guarding someone and they got off, uh, you got their, uh, uh, their sentence. And so here it was death. And then he went down to Judea to Caesarea and he spent some time there. Um, let me just pause here. Why are we surprised by earnest prayer being answered? May I just remind us and be encouraged by this. That God is faithful even when we have little faith. God is faithful even when we have little faith. Earnest prayer. Uh, understand, earnest prayer is not uh, entering in with shaking knees, scared that the great Oz God is going to crush us. Uh, if you're redeemed in Christ, how stunning is this that we've been given an opportunity to come before Earnest prayer is not intensely rubbing the magic genie lamp for a wish from the magic man on what I want. Earnest prayer is also not turning over some divine magic eight ball looking for the writing on the wall. God, should I buy this car or this house? Yes, that one. And there's a big arrow down to it. You know, that's not what we're talking about. Earnest prayer is not sitting on the lamp of some creepy Santa-like being with your wish list. And God, I would like blank and blank and blank. And for Billy, my friend God, I would like him to have blank. How sad is it that God is so common? Instead, earnest prayer, I would just make mention, is this earnest prayer is this amazing meeting of relationship with the God of truth. We're going to talk about prayer in September, so I'm not going to go into it much more here. In fact, I'm just going to ask for some people who are going to be praying here. If you'd go ahead and come up right now. Uh, and I thought about, instead of talking about prayer, how about we as a church just like do it? Um, not as a token prayer thing, just to like, isn't that cute we did it? But, but I mean, like, let's pray. Um, if we believe in the power of prayer, let's just do that for a little bit. So I've asked some people to come and pray for areas like children's ministry and our teens and men and women and small groups and facility and just various things. We're going to go down the list here. But may I remind us that prayer is this amazing relationship meeting. It's this place where I can go, and, and there at the table is the Father and the Son and the Spirit and the Word of God. And it's there where I can get my thinking in a right place. It's there where I can acknowledge what's going on. It's there where I can wrestle out with the Lord. Lord, what's going on here? Please, seriously, help me. I'm trying to understand, Lord. Lord, what's, I just, oh, God, let's do that right now. Father God, first of all, I just thank you so much for allowing us to come before you. And um, prayer um, is such an intimate thing, Father. I thank you for that. Right now, I lift up the children whom you serve and teach. And I ask that you would draw them to yourself and bless them. I ask that you would surround them with adults in the children's ministry team who are diligent in showing and sharing your love for them and who are constantly an example of your love each week. Father, I lift up their families, that you would continually strive, foster, and model, and be strong in relationship with you by actively seeking you each day as individuals and as a family group, guiding their children toward their own personal relationship with you. Lord, I ask that as our kids return to school, 
that you would keep them safe and give them courage to be a reflection of your love and kindness in a time when bullying and exclusion is common. Lord, I ask that you would guide them and encourage them to be kind and caring so that you would be glorified in it. Help them to be strong if they are rejected for the very love we're called to share. Lord, I ask that your spirit would move mightily among our children and their families and that you would keep them unto yourself. In Jesus' name. Lord, I just pray for all of our students, the teens, the adults. Father, just so thankful for each one of them. Lord, I ask that more than anything, you would reveal more of yourself to each one of them. Lord, that you would cause in our hearts this great love to be there for you and for one another, Lord, but also for this world uh, who is just so desperately in need of you. Lord, I pray that you would help us and, and these teens and students to forsake ourselves for the sake of your name receiving glory. Lord, I just pray for all the men in this church and the awesome responsibility you've given to us. And uh, Lord, just help us to be loving leaders. And uh, Lord, I just thank you for just seeing men involved in the children's ministry uh, as well as set up and put around. And uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, you would just guide in that. And uh, Lord, just uh, the huge uh, responsibility you do give us, help us to be leaders and especially spiritual in our homes and uh, lead by example and give them the glory for you. Father, I just pray earnestly uh, for the women of Harvest. God, I pray that you would give us hearts for our homes, our families, our community, and our church. But God, most of all, give us hearts for you. I pray that we would be women who seek you diligently, who are women of prayer, women of the word, look for your wisdom, not the world's wisdom, and certainly not for our own wisdom. God, I just pray that you would remove from us the critical spirit that so easily um, bubbles up, and instead, God, give us hearts of um, mercy and grace and love and forgiveness that just extend those things to others that you've so lavishly uh, poured out on us, Lord, that we would um, give that out to others, God. Um, Help us to be tender women, tender towards you and tender uh, towards the people that you put around us and in our sphere of influence. Lord, I pray this morning for our pastors and our elders. Um, God, I pray that um, the men here would be humble, uh, godly, biblical examples, and that uh, you would provide uh, wisdom and leadership. God, I pray for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the men's lives and that um, we would live uh, in such a way that we would be close to your word and close to your spirit to follow his leading. I pray for protection from sin. I pray for protection from attack, both by Satan and by others who might uh, wish harm on your work and these men. And God, I, uh, I pray that you would help these guys to be gifted in their areas of ministry and be diligent to be students and learners and um, always working hard to uh, serve you to the best of their abilities. God, I pray for strong marriages too, um, that you would protect in that way. I thank you for Doug and Karen and for Nick and Joe, for Eric and Krista, for Cody and Katie, for Paul and Marianne, for JC and Therese, for Denise and myself, and God, would you add your blessing, not for the men's benefit or glory, but certainly for yours, that your work would be on display. And uh, God, help us to be encouraged. Help these men to be encouraged. And I thank you in advance for the answers you give us, and I pray this in the strong name of Christ. Lord, I pray for our small group ministry at Harvest. I pray these groups would be more than just common interest groups. May they be more than just connecting and, and fellowship and relationships. God, may these, uh, these groups be where life on life and side by side, where change happens, where growth takes place, uh, where sin is confronted, and your word is, uh, is encouraged and taught, where prayer happens, where service happens, God. 
for this group to be a, a reflection of just your goodness and your glory. Uh, that we may just be striving after your word and the pursuit of you and your holiness, God. And we pray for our small group leaders. Be raising more up, be building and equipping these leaders. And we pray that our groups would just uh, take on great shape and they would just be aligned with you. Father, here as a church, we are seeking to uh, have a place we can call ours to be a part of this community. But I ask most of all that before we give anything, that we give ourselves to this church. Because we cannot be a church without us, without us giving up of ourselves. But then I also ask that you would help each one of us in this auditorium today to do our part. We've established sowing and reaping as a basic principle. Uh, please impress upon each one of us what we can do in addition to prayer for this people facility. And I thank you for knowing that we are on this year to support you. And God, lastly, we would pray that our worship would be acceptable in your sight. pray that uh, each individual here would be taking time in their daily life to um, commune with their Savior, with their Father, to have a, a private worship life that models what Scripture lays out for us, that would be taking uh, the opportunity to glorify you in the way they interact with their families, interact with people that they work with. And God, I would pray that as we uh, give lives of, of adoration and praise before you, that um, that same worship would be displayed on Sunday mornings as we corporately gather for the glory of Jesus Christ, for the glory of you, Father. I would pray that the manifest presence of God would be with us each week as we lift your name high. As we center ourselves around the cross, around the gospel, and around your glory. And as we point and magnify everything to you. God, use our times to um, fuel this church bring glory to yourself. We pray um, that um, you would uh, hold fast to your promise and that you say that many will see and hear and put their trust in you. We pray uh, these things in the strong, mighty, glorious, awesome name of Jesus Christ. pray we're not token prayer people, right? Earnest, praying people. God sovereignly comes, uh, carries out his purposes. We participate in God's sovereign purposes through prayer. And third, we're going to quickly hit this, God's sovereign purposes prevail. Let me just jump to verse 21. Verse 20, basically saying a bunch of stuff's happening all around the area. And uh, as a result of that, on an appointed day, verse 21, Herod put on his royal robes. He took a seat on the throne and delivered an oration to them. Uh, let me uh, tell you, historians tell us that what took place at this time was uh, uh, Herod had this big meeting. There were all the big wigs from around that all came together. And uh, he waited until noon. Uh, he put on his silver coat, his silver uh, whatever robe, so that he would come out at the time of noon so that when he would come out, the sun would be at its peak and he would shine off of himself and all the people that would be declaring how incredible he was in fact some historians uh, Josephus says that what was said at the time was be gracious to us you are more than mortal nature and you can see in the text here on an appointed day Herod put on his royal robe took a seat upon the throne delivered an oration to them and the people were shouting the voice of a god and not a man got the picture 
verse 23, immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down. By the way, I, I actually don't think that is immediate as in he is dead right now. I think this is actually immediately the Lord brought upon him. Um, the word formation here in language as commentators talk about, it's very possible that what took place here in light of what's about to be said is all of a sudden he was hit with a tape measure. Um, because look what happened. Immediately the angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Again, the formation of the words here gives insight that it's very possibly a tapeworm. It was a tapeworm in the day that would, uh, be, would infect dogs and, uh, from infected meat and then the dogs would infect the person because of the eggs that were laid and uh, so forth with the dog. And if a human being got it, it would begin to grow in them and form a cyst in them and then grow down their abdominal cavity. And then after a period of time, it could all of a sudden literally burst out. And some accounts give that there were some two million tapeworms coming out of the person when he died. I just want to say this is God's judgment. Why? Why is God's judgment being placed here? Because Herod did not give God the glory. And may I just remind us all that we were created for God's glory. We're not created for our glory. We're to be glory givers, not glory takers. And yet in our daily life, how often do we end up wanting to take glory, don't we? Listen, friends, we were created to give God the glory. How did God give it? Worms. Wormed the man to death. Pretty scary stuff. Do you get the idea God's serious about it? Herod tried to stop God, and Herod tried to be God. But God's sovereign purposes, they always prevail. Always prevail. And in fact, I just want to uh, quickly say this. Do the fact, does the fact that God's sovereign purposes prevail uh, encourage you and drive you or shut you down? In other words, the fact that God's purposes prevail, does it shut you down by being one who wants to argue with God? God, I don't like what you're doing. By the way, if God were to pull his grace from this earth, this earth would be total living hell. And the question of why does God allow anything wrong, I understand the question, but I think the right question is why does God allow anything good to ever happen? That's the reality. And if God were to pull himself Aurora, Colorado would be happening everywhere, every moment. Does it shut you down and you get arguing with God or does it disengage you from praying? Well, God's in control, so why pray? Does it shut you down from expressing the word of God? Well, God saves people, God elects people, uh, uh, so why go? So, Doug, do you believe God elects people? I do. Do you believe that God, that people have a choice? I do. God can work it out. But I do know this, we are called to go. Or does it drive you? The fact that God is in control, does it drive you to embrace his sovereignty? I am so glad that God is in control and is in the same boat. Does it drive you to pray? Lord, you're actively engaged in this world, and somehow in this, you've invited me to be a part of it. I'm in. Does it, act, does it encourage you to declare the good news of Jesus Christ? Go and make disciples. God, you said to do it, I'm going. And I'm speaking. And it gives me hope because all I have to do is water and plant. You make the growth. Verse 24, and let's wrap up. But the word of God increased and multiplied. But the word of God increased and multiplied. It's interesting he says how but. You see, we just left left a couple verses where someone was taking the glory of God, someone was trying to counteract the glory of God, and guess what? God wins all the time. But even in light of all the insanity that's taking place in the world, God's word is going to increase and multiply. Know it, be assured of it, be excited about it, be on that boat. He is working it, friends, even in the craziness. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 uh, and go and make disciples. I'm sorry, Matthew, uh, Acts chapter 8, and you'll be uh, my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. 
That's what we're to be about. And then Luke tells us in Acts chapter 6, the word of God is increasing and multiplying. And then here in chapter 12, Luke tells us the word of God is increasing and multiplying. And then in Acts chapter 19, Luke tells us again, the word of God is increasing and multiplying. God is carrying out his purposes. And that includes this fact. The scriptures tell us that he is going to return. And that means he is. As silly as you may think that it sounds, as wild as that may sound, God sovereignly carries out his purposes. And today would be a great day for HR Don to do that. By the way, in speaking of God carrying out his sovereign purposes, that also includes the cross and the empty tomb. I'm going to ask the communion uh, servers if you'd come and and get ready and get in place. Uh, This is a fantastic time for us just to take communion. We're wrapping up this series in Acts. We're uh, talking right at the moment of seeing how from Acts chapter 1 through 12 that that God in this transition period of time in redemptive history is, is, is moving things from the cross to the world. And people are coming to know him as Savior. And the scriptures tell us that that the, the cross and the empty tomb and the work of the cross is a time and something we should remember on a regular basis. And so if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I invite you to partake here. Uh, and what we're going to do is we've got people stationed around here and and uh, worship team's going to sing for us here and minister to us. And, and just here in a couple seconds after they get going or whatever, when you're ready, just go grab the, the bread and the cup, bring it back to your seat and uh, just hold and and we're going to partake together. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would just ask you to hold off on this at this time and, and use this time to, God, who are you and where are you and what are you doing? and What do I have to do with you in this world? And the scriptures tell us that if we seek him, he will show himself. So let's use the time. When I survey
God is increasing and multiplying. All of that comes back to the reality of beat out of walking down the Via Della Rosa placing himself on the cross hung like a criminal mocked, laughed and yet the second person of the Trinity embraced and loved paying a price that we could not pay ourselves. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your body. And all through the Old Testament, it talks about the shedding of blood, forgiveness of sins, coming as a result of the covering of the death of the lamb and the sacrifice and the blood pouring. So gracious, so gracious. Lord God, we stand here as uh, sinners unworthy. We stand here and uh, before you as individuals who are fully unworthy. And yet in your goodness and your kindness and your grace, all for your glory, You've provided redemption, made available. And not the golden ticket, but a whole new life, a new creation, forgiveness of sins, purpose of life. 